Hello and welcome back in the trenches. We are live from Phoenix, Arizona on the heels of a phenomenal, surprising, and deeply, deeply touching week one. I was touched by the sun, as you can see, in San Jose. Got nice and crisp uh, at Chef Chefku Stadium, I think is the, the bank that owns the, the name rights to San Jose State Stadium. Uh, I got burnt to a crisp out there. There was no cover whatsoever, and I forgot to bring my hat that I currently have on now. So it was a great time, and what a week one of football. Beautiful that the game fell on a Sunday, so I was able to watch all of the other football uh, on Saturday and not have to worry about uh, the game that I was attending. It was honestly perfect, perfect trip. A lot to talk about. I appreciate everyone hopping in the live. We've got a good number of people in right now. Uh, we're going to reveal a lot of things in today's episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about the week one. We're going to have some key recaps and key reactions to a lot of those games there. It looks like my TV, I was trying over here to get the Clemson-Duke game on in the background because uh, that's a big game, but the ESPN blackout is still in effect um, with Spectrum, so I, I'm not going to be able to get that in the background. I'm going to be relying exclusively on the chat to be getting me updates, which that there's no way that can go wrong, right, guys? Um, should be nothing but reliable info over there. But we'll do week one recap and predictions. We'll talk about some of the bigger storylines. We'll do a little MacGuffin recap. There was a MacGuffin game this week. Uh, we'll hand out the first Budgeman Award of the season. Uh, Budgeman Award, just a play on the Heisman. It's going to be a weekly award given to the best player uh, that of each week, in my opinion, or most impactful. Honestly, it can be whatever I want because it's my name, the Budgeman Award. Uh, we're going to announce where we're headed in week two of the Last Dance Tour, and we are also going to announce who the special guest will be for Wednesday. I promise, 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 some of you will know him from his content that he has created, and I've already spoiled half of it that it is going to be a him. Uh, last week it was Colt. Not a lot of people knew Colt, and that's because he was my roommate. He doesn't have a page. This guy definitely does. A lot of you will know who that is. And then we will give out my updated CF Budge Top 25 for Week 2, uh, which I posted on social media. So you might have seen that if you're following me on social media already. But without further ado, let's get to the Week 1 recap and reactions, starting with a game that happened on Thursday. Utah beats Florida 24-11, to and this game was not as close as the score indicated, man. The Utes just absolutely whooped Florida, and it's going to sound hypocritical because I was on this show on Wednesday night with Colt, and I said I would take Florida in this game. However, the morning after, on Thursday morning, as I was whipping up the graphic to post it on Instagram, last minute I said, you know what? What am I doing? Why am I not trusting the Utah offense? I flipped my pick, and on the graphic, it was that shiny Utah Utes logo, and the Utes go out there, they shine, and they dominate Florida in that game. Florida gets a late touchdown and a two-point conversion to make it look a little less ugly, but somehow, some way, the two-time defending Pac-12 champions were once again slept on in a game. And this is a game in Rice-Eccles where the youth perform very well. Uh, the rising being out against Florida narrative got way too out of hand there. People were acting like the Utes are a five-win team without Cam Rising, but that team honestly is one of the best equipped in the country, uh, in my opinion, to thrive without a starting quarterback just because of the system and the way they like to play football. It probably played more into the way Whittingham wanted to play that game anyways. Um, and how about that play call to start that game? Bryson Barnes, a 70-yard strike. That was a beauty. The hits that this Utah defense was delivering all game long you could just 
feel the impact watching the game on TV. It was some big hits. And uh, for the Gators, they've got some issues. They've got some clear issues. This season could turn ugly in a hurry because guess what? Their schedule is not going to do them any favors. And so despite how good that this recruiting class is that is coming in for the Gators is, uh, I don't think Napier's safe if the team starts looking like that and looking just not competitive in games like that. I think there's a scenario where Florida only wins six games again this year or loses a bowl game or something like that, but they're competitive in a lot of those games versus good teams. That effort against Utah, that's not going to cut it. They didn't have their quarterback, the expectation for the Gators was that they win that game and so he's going to have a lot of heat on him but they've got to go out and they've got to have some good performances down the stretch so that was my reactions from the Utah Florida game uh, looks like Duke just got a false start penalty Clemson leads 7-6 midway through the second quarter keeping close tabs on that Clemson is my national title pick not worried in the slightest though they should uh, have, a, have a hefty lead by halftime and they should probably cover the spread in that game should have handed that out as a bet you could count it right now I might count it if it hits uh, Nebraska Falls 10-13 to against Minnesota. It was a vintage Big Ten West battle. Two quarterbacks playing horrifically. Kaliak Manis absolutely disappointed me, man. I don't know why I listened to Minnesota fans during the offseason. They were telling me that this Ethan guy is about to be the truth, and I bought it. I drank the Kool-Aid right alongside you. I used that as a tool to say, hey, this Minnesota team could have a higher ceiling than one would expect because Kaliak Manis has a high ceiling. Guess what? He looked awful. The offense looked dreadful, and I don't know how much credit I can give to the Nebraska defense at this point. They looked awful. They looked truly awful, and it took several Nebraska miscues by Jeff Sims, who looks, frankly, exactly the way he did at Georgia Tech. Uh, So for both these quarterbacks, they were not what they were advertised in the offseason to be, and I guess it's something you should have seen coming because Calic Manis looked shaky in a few starts last year. Sims looked really shaky his entire time at Georgia Tech. So disappointing opening performance by both quarterbacks that I thought could have been a lot better and have higher potential than that. We will see how things age down the stretch, but there's a lot of stout defenses in the Big Ten West. So guess what? There's going to be no love loss for those guys. Let's start with the winners, Minnesota. Uh, They didn't look good. They did not look good. Outside of the offense, on defense, that was their strength of that game. But honestly, I think Nebraska played pretty bad on offense. And I I don't have a ton of faith in this Minnesota defense after that performance. Yes, they held Nebraska to 10 points. But Nebraska had weird fumbles, weird misses, just bad miscues throughout the game that weren't necessarily because of this Minnesota defense. Let's go to the Nebraska side of things. Don't put Matt Rule in Scott Frost territory or in the Scott Frost camp. That is disrespectful to Matt Rule. That is one game, and it is a game they were seven-point dogs in, and they lost by three and should have won the game. So the fact that they should have won the game is credit enough to Matt Rule. The Huskers can go four and eight this year and still be on schedule for what they want Matt Rule to do. This year's team is not the team at Nebraska. This is not the year they put it together. I don't care who's telling you this is. This isn't it. All right, and in his first year, we've learned that uh, at uh, Matt Rule teams, they they don't do stuff in the first year. They have access to the portal this year, which raises the odds that maybe they could make some noise. But if you were banking on this team to go eight and four or contend in the Big Ten West, you were just fooling yourself from the beginning. So that's my rapid reaction to Nebraska-Minnesota. Great game, entertaining game. And then there's another game that's more entertaining if you love offense. Colorado 45, TCU 42. My guest on Wednesday, I have a feeling, is going to have some strong opinions about this game. Uh, I know some people already learned who the guest is, but we will reveal that later in the show. Uh, 
Let's talk about the winners first. Colorado is here, man, and they warned you. And Coach Prime warned you the whole offseason that they were coming and you shouldn't be doubting them. What a performance. Not only did they jump out to an early, fast start, but they responded and they rolled with the punches. And Travis Hunter was phenomenal. Shador Sanders, phenomenal. I want to talk about Dylan Edwards, the freshman. That guy was ridiculous. And now seems like a good time to hand out my week one Budgeman Award, the first Budgeman Award of the season. I might whip up a graphic and throw it on social media. Dylan Edwards, man, the Colorado running back, had five receptions for 135 yards, three touchdowns, six carries, 24 yards, and another touchdown. And he returned a kick for 18 yards. So let's count that in the all-purpose yardage. Uh, He was a guy that really shined. And when the pressure was on those other guys and they asked him to come in and make play, he came in. That one sideline route where he looked like he was going to tackled and just outran every player on the field, that was unbelievable. Uh, Colorado, man, they look scary. However, do not... Do not jump the gun on Colorado. Don't recalibrate the expectations. This is probably, at at this point, with what we've seen from Colorado, they can still lose many, many games in their schedule. There's Oregon, Utah, USC, Oregon State. They will still be underdogs in all those games. And they could even lose in Nebraska. They play Nebraska. They have a game at Washington State. They could be dogs in that game. This team can still lose five or six games. Don't get too high on them right off the bat. They certainly deserve some respect, though. TCU. It looks like the Frogs could have just been lightning in a bottle last year. Obviously, they didn't look terrible. They didn't get steamrolled. They looked solid. Their offense is good. Defense, nowhere near where it was last year. Uh, TCU can still win some games and can still compete in the Big 12. And honestly, after seeing some of those other performances by Big 12 teams, uh, this should be the least of TCU's worries. Uh, but, but for TCU, yeah, that was a tough one and a tough blow. And uh, it makes a lot of sense that they lost this game. What didn't make sense was the run last year. Sonny Dykes had never had a season like that in his coaching career. Honestly, the TCU loss makes my Garrett Riley to Clemson, making them elite national title pick, makes me feel even better about it. Updated score, it's 7-6. Looks like Clemson's marching with the football now. I knew the chat wasn't reliable. I just saw somebody say that it was 87-3 Duke in the game. So that is pretty funny stuff. But uh, that is the breakdown for Colorado TCU. We got two more games to break down. North Carolina 31, South Carolina 17. The Tar Heels come in and just destroy this South Carolina offensive front. They had 16 tackles for loss in this game. South Carolina finished with negative two rushing yards. That is ridiculous. The Tar Heels looked so good on defense and blew up this Florida State, or not this Florida State, South Carolina front so aggressively that you can't help but just imagine, was this just a poor performance by the Gamecocks? Drake May is obviously electric. We already knew that. The offense was still spotty. And I don't know, man. South Carolina is a team that was so inconsistent last year. I can't help but just think we're just looking at the same exact South Carolina team as last year. An inconsistent team that can win some fun games and good games when they bring their A game. But this looked like their C game. It didn't look like their A game. So I can't give too much credit to North Carolina for this win. Um, but I will give them some credit. Great win for North Carolina. Um, I knew this was a scenario, and it was an impressive win that they pulled out. The Gamecocks really disappointed me this year. Um, I think one of my misses is I was a little high on the Gamecocks. I really thought they would have a linear progression under uh, Beamer, but it looks like it's not going to be linear. It looks like it's going to be an ebb and flow thing, and that makes sense at South Carolina. That is okay, and that's something that's going to happen. Let's get to the main event, one of the biggest games of this weekend, Florida State 45, LSU 24. I'm going to look like a hypocrite because I picked LSU in this game, but this is one I flip back and forth on as well. Hey, in the offseason, I warned you, man, that LSU was a team that 
people were getting too high on. Five was way too high for them. LSU was my preseason number 12 team. Florida State was my preseason number 10 team, full disclosure. So I went back on my own pick and kind of picked LSU in this game. It could have been pressure from the media. It could have been just me smoking something, me falling for the two-and-a-half-point spread, something like that. It was a sloppy, sloppy game from both teams early, but there was nothing sloppy about that second half for Florida State. They are legit, and we all knew they were going to be legit. The question will be, can Florida State play exactly like that consistently? Last season, that was their issue. They couldn't play like that consistently. They lost multiple dud games on the road. When they're outside of the state of Florida and we're in the, they're in those weird games, I think we could learn a lot about them in week three. They go at Boston College. Yes, it's a dreadful Boston college team they're going on the road let's see how consistent they are Are we going to see an ugly game are we going to see a clunker from this florida state team we're going to find out and then obviously we'll learn even more in that road game in death valley uh and then lsu the tigers this is a team that i had on uh disappointment watch i guess you could call it let down watch uh yes Jaden daniels is awesome but the offensive line spotty uh, Daniels had times last year where he struggled to throw the ball when they couldn't run it effectively, and that showed in this last game. When you're asking Daniels to scramble a lot, you're exposing him to potential injury. That could become a problem later in the season. The defense, weird substitutions, weird adjustments. Obviously, they were without Mason Smith in the defensive front, but Harold Perkins Jr. was lined up as an off-ball linebacker, really confusing that he wasn't there to harass the quarterback. And how about Keon Coleman, man? Absolute game-changer. That guy, it was a beast. Definitely the runner-up in the Budgeman Award. Um, I like... I wanted to go with a guy a little bit more under the radar, to be honest, even though Keon Coleman probably definitely had the better performance. Uh, Johnny Wilson a little sloppy, though. Dropped some passes on the receiving end, but Coleman looks like a genuine superstar. He could win the Bolitnikoff Award this season, uh, especially after the Ohio State passing attack looked pretty sloppy in that first game. So shout out to the Florida State Seminoles for that win. That is pretty effective, and they're probably going to get a nice little bump in the CF Budge Top 25. So let's jump ahead to some of the biggest storylines that came out from those games. Not necessarily tied to those big games, but coming out from the full slate as a whole. First one, there's some trouble for the Big 12 sleepers. It wasn't just TCU. Baylor and Texas Tech, who were the third or sorry, fourth, fifth, and sixth teams in odds to win the Big 12 at the start of this season, they all lose games in Week 1, and some were uglier than others. Uh, the ugly ones being a 11-point loss by Baylor to Texas State at home, and then for Texas Tech, a double overtime loss at Wyoming. That one hurt a little bit. The Red Raiders loss hurt for me. That's a team I was very high on in the preseason, and uh, it, it was tough. I don't think... Panic mode is necessary for at least two of these three teams, maybe all three. You look at the Big 12 last season. Kansas State lost a weird road game to Tulane. Tulane looked like a terrible team at that point or a mid-team at that point because they were a two-win team the prior season. And guess what? Tulane goes on to win a New Year's Six Bowl that year. And so when you look at Baylor and you look at Tech, their losses to group of five teams aren't disastrous. You can still win the Big 12. You haven't played a Big 12 game yet. You can still go out and do that. It's going to be tough, uh, and there's certainly a lot to work on. But both Baylor and Texas Tech play Oregon and Utah in Week 2. Instant chance to bounce back. If they get that win, all of a sudden, short-term memory, that goes out the window. They come out one and one of those two games. You would have taken that in the preseason because you thought you would have lost the Power 5 team. It's just flipped. Uh, Do I think that's going to happen? Not necessarily, but Wyoming, we knew they were going to be a good team this year. We knew Craig Bull was going to have a good squad. Texas State? 
If you paid any attention, you knew they brought in 30-plus transfer players, and they're the Colorado, the group of five, basically, them and Charlotte. And uh, it really showed off, and they had a, a great performance by TJ Finley, and were making plays all over the place. So I think TCU shouldn't panic. I think Texas Tech shouldn't panic. For Baylor, maybe get your hand a little bit close to the panic button because you did lose at home, uh, and it was just kind of a tough one. So let's uh, move on uh, to one of the other biggest storylines, we got some New Year's Six clarity already for the group of five. South Alabama goes down. UTSA stumbles against Houston again. And Tulane, who beats down South Alabama, looks locked in and ready to repeat. A team with a lot of continuity. They could be the first repeat group of five New Year's Six representative for a long time. Probably the last team to do it was UCF, I think, in 2018, 2017 stretch. Um, my, actually, that's not true. It was Cincinnati. So pretty recently, actually. That was the 2020-2021 stretch uh, for Cincinnati. So they could be the first team to do it since Cincinnati, which I guess in 2022 they, they did that. So I guess it would be the second straight back-to-back. So I guess it's not that rare. I, I just made that statement uh, randomly. I, I guess it just came out of thin air. But I still believe in Troy. However, and as somebody in the, the chat puts a cowboy hat on me, I'm not sure how they do that still, but I appreciate uh, the cowboy hat filter. If you're listening to podcasts later and you don't understand this or watching on YouTube, sorry about that. I promise we'll move on. I still believe in Troy, but the Sun Belt is a conference that could cannibalize itself. James Madison, Troy, South Alabama, Marshall, Georgia Southern, App State, Texas State, Southern Miss, Louisiana, Coastal Carolina. The list goes on and on in the Sun Belt of teams that could genuinely win that conference and compete in that conference and have looked great so far. And so Texas State, a team that wasn't necessarily on the radar, they are now, so it just keeps getting deeper and deeper. We're going to take a break before we get to the next two storylines for I, me to uh, drink some water. <clears throat> Seeing people in the chat asking if I'm watching the Clemson game. I am. I've got it pulled up right over here. Definitely a slow start by the Tigers. You're a fool if you didn't think we were going to see a st- slow start. New offensive coordinator, Cade Klubnick, relatively inexperienced. It's a road game uh, in week one. I'm telling you. Uh, no worries at all right now in this game. Uh, the Tigers will be just fine. Uh, let's move on to the next storyline. The Pac-12 runs deep, and the Pac-12 runs deeper than we even thought. It is really, really sad, and I am sad. I'm not even going to hide it. I'm very sad that the league is collapsing. Cal, Stanford, Wazoo all go on the road against group of five opponents in what could be trap games and what many people were picking as sleeper games and trap games, and they all dominate. Their offenses all look fantastic Stanford was the one that was maybe a little closer but the, in the end of the day they looked pretty good and they have a guy um Ashton 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 Smith why am I forgetting his name all of a sudden at quarterback that that looked pretty solid um Colorado is legit having that being confirmed that's another good team in the Pac-12 UCLA and Oregon State with their new quarterbacks they look fantastic in Dante Moore and DJU Uh, in their debuts at their schools. So those are two teams that are going to be legitimate threats, just as we thought. And then USC, Oregon, Utah, Washington all shine. Uh, USC just disposing of inferior competition, just like the Ducks. And then Utah and Washington getting solid wins. Uh, Arizona, I think, should be good, even though they haven't had a chance to prove it yet. They bulldozed over Northern Arizona. Their defense has been the issue in years past, and uh, they held Northern Arizona to three. Take that with as you will. Take it with a grain of salt, probably. It's an FCS team. Arizona State, my alma mater, uh, could legitimately, excuse me, legitimately sadly be 12th place in this Pac-12, and that is a uh, sobering realization for a team that has a self-imposed 
bowl ban this season. So that could really be tough. But speaking of the Pac-12, Washington defeated Boise State to keep the MacGuffin. We'll keep it short and sweet because there wasn't much to talk about in this game. It was a big mismatch. The game was never in doubt. My score prediction was 45-24 Washington. They ended up winning 56-19. So Washington extends their MacGuffin streak to four. They will host Tulsa in week two, who was the last group of five team to hold it in 1996. So some MacGuffin history here. Washington opens up as 35.5-point favorites. Uh, This one could get ugly, but stay tuned for my prediction. That'll come later in the week on Wednesday. And so... Uh, don't forget to follow on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or even on Facebook uh, at CF Budge. You can find it, the link in any of my social medias to all of my other social medias. And you can also find In the Trenches with Tyler Budge anywhere you get your podcast. We've uploaded the RSS feed. It's everywhere now. Or you can just go to the link in the bio on this TikTok if you're watching on YouTube, on the YouTube, or on any of my social medias. It's linked in the bio. And I've got a weekly newsletter too. So if you like getting a kind of a recap of any Anything you missed in case you missed it recap of the eliminator of the MacGuffin just in a written nice place I've got a newsletter that goes out weekly uh, that does all that stuff and uh, every once in a while do some giveaways on there uh, that are pretty cool so just keep that in mind all you have to do is enter your email and you get an email every Monday in your mailbox you don't even have to open it I mean it would be nice if you did I would like it if you did but I appreciate you guys for watching live uh, let's get to the last dance tour because this is something that was a banging success uh, last week. We went to Arizona State, Southern Utah. Uh, The first half was 21-3, all Arizona State. We had a three-hour monsoon and lightning delay, and after two and a half hours, I had to leave because I had to drive early the next morning to get to San Jose for the second game. I wake up in the morning because the game didn't end until 1 a.m., and I see ASU barely squeaked out a win 24-21, just a fever dream of a game, and absolutely wild. Kind of fun, though. Kind of fun to be in the midst of a monsoon like that. even though I might not have been in the most safe environment possible, still a lot of fun. And then that brings us to the second game we went to, Oregon State at San Jose State. San Jose State has a very unique stadium. They had their first sellout since 2003, and it looks kind of small, but they they had 20,000 strong in there, and they got pretty loud at times. Uh, DJ Wu Yangle, he looks nice, man. He looks really, really nice for Oregon State, and uh, I think he's going to be an absolute baller uh, for the Beavs this season, and he was making some nice throws, so I really am trusting DJ Uyungle in the system, and we'll see how he looks versus better competition, but in the meantime, they were protecting him really well against San Jose State. They didn't mess around with that team, and I kind of hit the upset alert button going into that game because what we saw Wyoming do to Texas Tech, guess what? No issues for Oregon State. I think San Jose State can still make a Mountain West run. Cordero's a great quarterback. Their defense has shown some signs of life. But in the Mountain West, you don't need a lot this year. Uh, I think Fresno State is probably the favorite there. Wyoming looks good. Boise State's probably in that second tier. And I think San Jose State could be, as well as San Diego State, who will play that same Oregon State team later this year. But that's not what's important. What's important is the week two location for the last dance tour. I've been hyping it up a little bit, asking people where I should go, what I should do for the week two location. I put a lot of thought into it. And what makes the most sense and what I think could be a great, great game. And some people are going to look at this and say, this isn't going to be a great game. This is going to be a dumb game. And, oh, based on this, that happened. I honestly think that this could be an instant classic in week two. For week two, the last dance tour will be headed to Lubbock, Texas for number 15 Oregon at Texas Tech. Going to be the Tyler Shuck 
revenge game. Texas Tech is in wounded animal mode. They are in desperation mode after a double overtime loss to Wyoming. Guess what? Oregon opens up as a seven-point favorite. Only seven points after this Texas Tech team lost to Wyoming. People are probably thinking, why isn't that spread very large? That's because this is the same Texas Tech team that I had ranked 18th preseason. They just had a bad game on the road at night at uh, Wyoming. And so I really think this could be a great game. Wreckham Raiders and Sco Ducks. It's going to be an absolutely phenomenal game. If you are in the area at all, hit me up when I'm down there. It's going to be an absolute blast. I'll be posting it on all the socials, so keep track of that. Excited to hit the road and watch a great game between two teams that I think are really solid this season, uh, despite the Texas Tech loss. I don't think it honestly takes much wind out of the sails here. The Red Raider faithful will show out for this first home opener uh, and support Joey McGuire. Going to be a great game. So, That is one big announcement. We're just going to go back-to-back. We're going to double-dip on the announcements. The other announcement is we're going to have a special guest for the Wednesday show, as per tradition for Wednesday. And the special guest for this Wednesday show will be the one, the only, transfer portal expert, Rico Knows. You may know him on TikTok. You may know him on YouTube. He is a guy that has a lot of ball knowledge And I uh, am super excited to have him on the show to pick his brain, talk to him about college football. It's going to be really fun having him on and and connecting with his fans and the people who watch his stuff. So Rico Knows will be the week two guest on the Wednesday show. We're going to make some guest picks. We're going to talk Transfer Portal. We're going to talk about uh, a team maybe not getting enough love uh, that Rico knows. Uh, Your friends don't know, but Rico knows is what he always says. So I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a fantastic collab and uh it's gonna be great so it is time to give out my updated top 25 before we end the show here uh looks like duke clemson still seven six kind of a sloppy first half of play there uh with about 30 seconds left in the second quarter but we're gonna do this for the tiktok chat just to get them engaged we're gonna throw the top 25 graphic up which is pretty cool thing we can do. My apologies if you're watching on YouTube. We're not going to quite get that up. But you get the fuller screen down there, so I don't want to hear you guys complaining. So here is my top 25 for week two. And I saw a lot of people instantly reacting to this top 25 and saying, uh, oh, wow, this isn't consistent with the AP poll at all. That's because it has nothing to do with the AP poll. This is not an AP poll. This is not a week two of anyone else's poll. This is my week two updated top 25 so let's break it down uh, for those of you listening on podcast i'm aware you haven't heard it or seen anything yet so we'll break it down at number one we have the georgia bulldogs not moving at all staying at number one in fact the entire top six is unmoved including number two which is the clemson tigers who they're playing a game right now they're gonna win this game they're not gonna lose this game uh, i didn't move them uh, because i figured they were gonna win the game anyways so I haven't touched them. If they do lose, we'll have to do an emergency ranking, and that'll be something that happens for sure. Uh, At number three is Michigan, four Alabama, five Ohio State, six USC. Like I said, top six didn't change at all, Uh, but this is where the changes start. At number seven, I have Florida State. I moved Florida State up three after a very impressive win versus an LSU team that I already thought was being overrated. The AP poll will have Florida State as a top three team this week. 
They will have them literally all the way up there. They will probably have them above everybody but Michigan and Georgia because that win. That's how the AP poll works. They just judge based off of kind of what you've done when you've done it. And so the other teams up there will just be punished for not beating a good team this early. I understand the philosophy, but for me, mine is a steady balance between what I expected of you preseason and then what you started to do for me. And as the season kind of goes on, the ratio of how much my preseason expectations factored in will slowly shift to the actual results you're giving me. So in the meantime, Florida State does move up a little bit for a nice win, but I'm not going to shoot them into my top three because they have more quality wins than all the teams up there. That seems silly to me. Uh, Oregon, number eight. I moved them up three. It was Portland State, yes, but I saw all I needed to see out of that Ducks team. They look motivated. They look hungry. Wow, in all caps for the Ducks. I moved them up, and I shamelessly moved them up to eight. I'm feeling more and more confident about my chip pick for the Ducks to go to the Pac-12 title game uh, every day, and I honestly think they could win it. They're scary against uh, a USC team that I'm pretty high on. So that puts Penn State at nine, Notre Dame at 10, Texas at 11. All those teams go down a couple to make room for Florida State and Oregon. Uh, that outside of the top 11, Kansas State stays at 12, or actually moves up one from 13 to 12, and that brings us to LSU. LSU is my 13th ranked team in the CF Budge Week 2 poll. And some people saw that, and I saw a guy instantly comment, and this is the one that drives me crazy. He was like, how can you punish LSU and move them down eight spots after their loss? Well, guess what? I didn't move LSU down eight spots. I moved them down exactly one spot because I wasn't drinking the LSU Kool-Aid like everyone else. I didn't have them as the fifth-ranked team in the country. I had them at 12, and they didn't look great, but they're honestly pretty similar to what I thought they would be. So I bumped them down exactly one spot. Tough loss, but guess what? I'm not doing a reactionary ranking like that. I'm still trusting my my research I put in in the offseason, and LSU is pretty properly ranked, in my opinion. So right now, the ones that are looking stupid are the AP voters who are now going to scramble and probably drop LSU down to 14. And then if LSU gets a good win, they're going to jump them back up to eight. I'm consistent. LSU is very similarly ranked right now, as is Florida State for me. And that's not going to just randomly change week to week. So that's what to look for in the CF Budge poll. At 14-15, we have Tennessee, Oregon State. Their ranking did not change this week. 16, I've got Utah. Moved them up a spot. Uh, no cam rising, no problem. They take care of business for Florida. I was expecting that. They move up a spot uh, due to some teams losing above them. At 17, I've got the Washington Huskies. Uh, Washington up two spots. Impressive win over Boise State. Dismantled them. They, again, another team moving up as a result of other people losing. Washington did about what uh, was expected of them. So, that is is where the Huskies lie at 17. For Oklahoma, I bumped them down to 18. Yes, they won like 84 nothing or whatever the score was. It was ridiculous. Uh, Utah and Washington just got some solid wins. And uh, so for Oklahoma, I just I just kind of adjusted a little bit and said, eh, maybe, maybe uh, downshift. It's all, it's all semantics at this point because it's honestly not going to matter as their resumes start to build out more. At 19th, we have Maryland. They're up a spot. At 20, North Carolina, the first team to enter my rankings. Defensive performance was really good. South Carolina could be inconsistent. I talked about it. We might not know a ton about North Carolina, but I think they earned spot number 20. They really took care of business, and really it was never in doubt. At 21, uh, we're going to have Illinois. Illinois is uh, 1-0, and 
and uh, they got a win over Toledo, and it was on a last-second field goal. I love the resilience that they showed in that game, and because of some teams losing, they're up a couple spots. I really still trust the Illini, and they're still my pick to win the Big Ten West, and a division that is wide open. Uh, at 22, Ole Miss goes up a couple spots. 23, we've got the Wisconsin Badgers. Wisconsin was already on the fringe, and some teams lost, and so I've got them in my top 25. I was never low on Wisconsin, still just as high on them as I was preseason. I still think that there's a little bit of inconsistency there. You could see in year one under Luke Fickle. 24, we've got Troy, who's still my New Year's six pick, not backing off of that yet. They won their game, took care of business versus an FCS team. And then at 25, the other newcomer, Fresno State. Up one from unranked. Most impressive group of five win, in my opinion, on the road versus Purdue. Mikey Keene looked raw. Great system at uh, Fresno State, and we knew this already. They looked really, really great, and a great uh, performance by them. That's got them uh, all the way into my top 25. That is the CF Budge Week 2 rankings. I know some people aren't going to like it, and I don't care because I know I like it, and that's all that matters. But I appreciate all the support that you guys are showing. Uh, I know that the, the positive always outweighs the negative, and I really appreciate that. Appreciate that. We are growing so fast on all platforms, and I honestly have to thank you guys for that. And so if you're not already following, come join the cause, man. Go follow on Instagram, on YouTube, on TikTok, on Twitter, everywhere. We just hit 3,000 followers on Twitter after a shout-out from Louisville Barstool. So shout-out to them. I still can't pronounce your team's name. I'm sorry. But shout-out to them for uh, giving me a little a little love this this uh, week. And it was really nice because ACC fan bases haven't liked me this season. Shout-out North Carolina, Pitt, and Boston College. But that about does it for In the Trenches. I appreciate everyone watching live in the TikTok. Don't go away because I'll be sticking around to talk to you guys. But I appreciate everyone watching in the YouTube as well. We are going to go away in YouTube in just a second. So hop on over to the TikTok if you want to keep the dialogue going. Fun, high-energy, 32-minute show. Nice for me to, to talk and, and do stuff. I was in a car for 11 hours today, and uh, that does it for In the Trenches. Thank you for watching live, and thank you for listening. I will see you guys on Wednesday with Rico Knows.